0: Welcome to Indulging in Politics, a podcast named after a joke regarding Joe Swinson. This is a podcast where we're going to be talking about the week's politics and try to give some sort of analysis which is worth listening to. Joining me today is Bell Holland, Hello. Connor uh, Dockwa. Hey. And Rob Clark. Hello. Would everyone just like to give like a brief introduction to the lovely audience as to who they are? We'll start with Connor.
1: Oh God, where do you, where do you even begin? I guess just I'm token Lib Dem here to try and provide this vague semblance that there's any political balance here. Oof. I come from east of England, which is also very very exciting. Come from the Fens, you know. <laughs> okay, so Ooh, we've got the
0: impression of the Liberal Democrats uh, firmly established already. We're then further joined by Bell.
2: Hi, um, I'm Bell. Like Connor, I'm a token, but I'm a token female. So So I'm on this podcast. Um, As a token female, a Labour Party member, I really enjoy getting involved with politics and talking to people about politics and why they think what they think. I was chair of the Labour Society at Loughborough University. I'm from the East Midlands.
0: And we come to Rob Clark.
3: I'm Rob. Hello. Um, I am not as politically involved as Connor or Bell or George. I, at the last general election, voted for the Yorkshire Party, because why not? Uh, I'm a big fan of English regionalism in general and devolution. Uh, And similar to Bell. I'm interested in why people vote the way they do and and what they find interesting in politics.
0: And as a bit of introduction to myself Uh, my name is George, I am chair of the Young Yorkshire Fabians, I'm firmly in the Labour Party and a membership officer for the regional branch of Open Labour based in Wakefield, which makes me the token uh, melt. Now we've got everyone introduced and you know what you're in for, let's get started. We're going to move to the first section, 100 days of Keir Starmer Does anyone have anything they initially want to say before we get deep into this? What are you guys thoughts on the first 100 days of a Keir a Starmer Labour Party
2: Forensic Forensic <laughs>
3: sums it up yeah <laughs> he's um, well
0: he's,
3: he's done very well in getting Labour somewhere where they can be competitive again which I think was, was the first big challenge especially I think now we're in a position where Labour if they have a good month or so a good month or a couple of months could be feasibly in, in front in the polls I think in that sense it's very promising I think where he's fallen down is his messaging been a bit muddled um, it's hard to, to work out at the moment what Keir Starmer actually is standing for or what, what big changes Keir Starmer is going to make. I think he's made that difficult himself. We've seen the Black Lives Matter movement. He, he took a knee and then he, he said some uh, controversial comments a few weeks later uh, and then had to turn around again and say, I'm going to go through this, this bias, this bias training because of it. And I think everyone else should as well. And that's quite muddled, quite muddled messaging from him on on one of the most important topics recently anyway. So I think he's done well but the messaging is muddled.
2: It has been an interesting 100 days. We've seen quite a lot of changes in attitudes around the Labour Party. I think people are more accepting of the Labour Party and part of that is that we don't have the drama and the pantomime of Prime Minister's questions that we would have had had the pandemic not occurred. So Keir Starmer has had this opportunity to speak gently but forcefully at the same time and without that drama and that dramatics so you can actually get involved in what is really happening and add a very crucial critical question about the cheering of the back benches so I'm talking about the backbenchers on the opposite side, on the Tory side, not our side. So I think for that reason Keir Starmer's had a very easy introduction as to being a leader in that respect. But then you turn around and see what's happened to the party and the right and the left or the centre on the left are completely up in arms against each other. And that's because for a while the left had alienated the party itself and now the centrists believe that they can now take over, have more prominence, and the, the left are experiencing what the centrists experienced when Corbyn was in power and I think it's just trying to deal with that alienation and fighting for what is right and what is good for the party
0: Connor, what do you think of Keir Starmer uh, from the perspective of being a Liberal Democrat?
1: I mean it's been effective, and that doesn't mean I approve necessarily of what he's been doing it's been effective basically because, I think in many ways because of what Bell said, you know after the ridiculous panto that we've had for so long, that's not necessarily the same thing as like sort of in many ways a Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson type figure who, whether you love them or hate them, are very good at sort of pumping up fire and energy and getting out the votes and the voters. Keir Starmer's much less of that. And Keir Starmer, aside from being not just having a very divisive or boisterous personality, appears to not have any divisive or boisterous policies. You know, he seems to be trying to drive the middle way so aggressively in a way to try and win the next general election, which I think some fools out anywhere. But instead, Keir Starmer, I guess because it makes sense if you believe in the whole thing about all oh, the red wall was made of social conservative working class voters, and Keir Starmer's basically looking like he's trying to appeal to them. But at the same time, it just appears to me, and I guess a lot of other Lib Dems who pride ourselves on being more socially radical than Labour, he strikes as a sort of what deep down. We all, I was about to say hate Labour, but what we all look at Labour and see is like the stereotype of why we do not get on with them, which like faux social justice, faux left wing, just trying to appeal to as many people as possible, not actually sticking up on those you know, sort of social issues that Lib Dems claim we're always stronger on. And it looks like we are stronger on again. So I guess it's, I'm always going to be biased because I'm an outsider anyway, but I just look at Keir Starmer and go, what a waste of a leader of an opposition position.
3: He's not perfect, don't get me wrong. I think it's a bit unfair to accuse him of being a waste of opposition leadership right. at the moment. It's very, very, very early on. And, and as we've seen, I think he has been quite good at his job so far. I imagine his his role is to get Labour to be electable. And he has achieved that quite well so far. You you brought up the Red Wall voters. And I think the, the issue is with that is, is a lot of Red Wall voters voted for harold wilson's government who legalized abortion and homosexuality they are not strangers to changing social structure of britain they were they were voters and voted for the, the labor party you know in a time when homosexuality and abortion were incredibly contentious political issues within the united kingdom so i think the idea that keir starmer is, is looking at them and going These, you know we have to pan to this kind of social conservatism because they won't accept trans rights and they won't accept black lives matter i think the problem with that is on Keir Starmer's part if that's what he's doing isn't it? it's very misguided and a poor representation of the voters he's trying to regain I think if he isn't doing that I think we've jumped to the conclusion that the reason Keir Starmer's doing this is, is he's targeting his Red Wall voters when there's a lot of division within the Labour Party itself over stuff like this and it's hard to to go down one road when your party is, is split in in that way. We've got a lot of the stuff with Jess Phillips for example where, where some of her comments have caused offence amongst the trans community so I think Trans, trans rights is something that's very poorly communicated to the masses, very difficult to get across. It's a very difficult subject to, to tackle it. and one I think that we should probably wait until someone who is trans comes and talks to us and explains it to, to pass final judgment on. That communication is very difficult for, for, for a lot of voters and that, maybe that's why Keir has not gone down that path rather than
2: is that a problem with the Labour Party or a problem with Keir Starmer? I know the issues surrounding trans rights and his comments around BLM have not been great, but is that more of a party problem that he's not been able to communicate effectively?
3: Realistically, the, the the book has to stop somewhere, and usually that's with the leader. And this is his decision. This is Keir Starmer's decision that he's made. In this instance, the Labour Party as itself, as a whole, its membership, have been kind of solid. one perspective, yes, we want to Trans rights. Just on the whole, and that's my perception as an outsider, you two are members, you may be able to tell me differently, but from my perception on the outside, the membership of the Labour Party has been, yes, we want to defend trans rights. Yes, we want to align ourselves with Black Lives Matter. Therefore, I think the issue is with Keir Starmer in that he's decided to diverge away from this.
2: But... I would say that the lack of education surrounding trans rights have been apparent since before mm. Starmer. Like, before, since I joined in, like, 2015-16. It's been there since then. And the party, they haven't done loads to tackle that education on trans rights. And there are some people in my local party who I feel need that education, but they haven't been given it. The party have been waiting far too long to actually address this issue. So I don't think it's just Keir Starmer's fault. Yeah. I-, I also...
0: Um... I just wanted to buff it in just to also say that during the leadership campaign, Keir Starmer was the only one of the three candidates who refused to sign the Labour campaign for trans rights. Mm. I think as well, like, <laughs> I just wanted to come back onto something Rob said about how you know Red Wall voters not being as socially conservative as they make out. He brought the example of Howard Wilson. I think it's also worth noting that Labour uh, Red Redwall heavily voted for the Blair government, which was mm. not only responsible for creating civil partnerships, but also for a returning Section 28, which at the time was defeated by the house of lords on its first attempt and was seen as quite you know a radical thing because a lot of people thought that you know this wouldn't fly in the end it turned out to be one of the most popular decisions
2: would like to point out that Keir Starmer did actually sign a different 10-point pledge by LGBT Labour. It was a different pledge that he signed. So he did sign something. It Sorry. No, no, <laughs> no. No, no, no. It's, no, no.
0: it's good to have it the actual less, facts.
2: It was less contentious, it says in the Guardian article.
0: Talking about more contentious things, um, I've recently been listening to a lot of audiobooks on kind of the Blair era because a a lot of people are drawing comparisons between Keir Starmer and uh, Tony Blair. A lot of people when they can talk about Tony Blair and talk about um, Keir Starmer in comparisons they always talk about this politics of style above substance where Mm. Labour doesn't necessarily have the most radical policies that we like but they are able to present themselves in a very likeable manner and they're able to get public support off of I don't want to use spin because I feel like it's a very loaded and outdated term but I, I suppose that. Do you think that's kind of reflective of Keir Starmer Leadership and the direction he's taking Labour in, or do you think that's a bit of an unfair comparison? Um,
3: I think that the problem with comparing
0: Blair's start and Keir Starmer's start
3: is, is where they start. Blair inherits the party from John Smith, who tragically dies, uh, and Labour are doing well in the opinion polls. Starmer has come from a much worse position. He's he started 12 points behind the Conservatives. I think it was more than that. He was, he was, in, the, he was in the 20s. Oh, was he? Well, twi- well, yeah, so there you go. He, st- he starts from a significantly weaker position. So that's already one you've got. I think in terms of style and substance, Keir Starmer has, we, we all agree, I think, certainly me and Connor agree, that so far working out what Keir Starmer actually stands for is very difficult. It's hard to pinpoint what policy direction we're going to take. Like, like for example, Annalise Dobbs, she came up with this idea of the wealth tax. It seemed to be going quite well, it seemed to be a policy that Labour were going down for, and then a couple of days later apparently Keir Starmer wasn't too, too hot for the policy. This kind of wishy-washy, which way will he go kind of politics is a far cry from the sort of looking back, decisive sort of first few days of Blair's leadership in which it was kind of very well set out which direction they were going in. I think he's got substance. And he's got more substance than he does style.
1: I, I think that, if anything, if we're viewing sort of Labour politics as sort of this cyclical manner, I don't think that Starmer at all is Blair. I think he's much more analogous to Neil Kinnock. You know, he's having to inherit a party that's very much scarred by the influence of not just the wing leader, but an even more hard-left faction within the party. And if you view the task he's got going into the next election as building on solid gains for Labour but with very little expectation he can actually become Prime Minister. That's very analogous to the situation that Neil Kinnock found himself going into when he became leader in 83, going into the election of 87. Now, if that means that Labour sort of go into a 1992 scenario, I don't know, but I think Keir Starmer's job is much less sort of Blair-level radicalism and more steering the shit over from the left more to the centre because... It's it's sort of funny to think of this now, but in his time Kinnock was thought of a sort of a centrist in the lay party who was a bit more on the right wing of the party, whereas obviously now we view him in context as much more of a left figure. I don't know if that's also the perception of the Labour Party, but certainly that's how it's felt, certainly by people I talk to you outside of it.
2: I think that it's um, a difficult comparison between Tony Blair and Keir Starmer. I mean, you can compare leadership styles and their politics. Tony Blair completely removed socialism, well not completely, but tried to root out socialism from the party with the New Labour phrase, while, whilst Keir Starmer identified as a socialist. Mm. on the software. I think Keir Starmer has always been the person who has seen the sensible option for us to lead. So yeah, sorry, I just wanted to point that bit out, That I think comparing them, the leadership styles, fair enough, but politically they are fairly different.
0: I think we should move over now to Rishi Sunak, new deal or meal deal? This is of course referring to the uh, Chancellor and his economic plans to reopen Britain and get the economy moving again. Uh, I'm just going to go around the panel and just get snap thoughts. We'll start with Connor.
1: I mean, the economy in general is a pretty terrible idea, in my opinion, because I think it, it, it's, it's become an increasingly talking point, this idea of a second lockdown, which would be even more disastrous for the economy than not ending the lockdown at all. And, you know, it would, be, it would create greater uncertainty. We'd have to go all the way back. We'd, unemployment would get worse than all, all these terrible things we'd rather not think about. On top of that, Rishi Sunak is a very interesting figure in sort of the, it's very easy for Rishi Sunak within the current Conservative Party to present this sort of New Deal type idea because, you know, uh, extraordinary economic circumstance, even the hard right of the Conservative Party would concede that in situations like a global pandemic, maybe we should have a little bit of government intervention. If, as the crisis goes on and on and on, if it is, and if government action means that it is keeps perpetuating it doesn't stop it will be much more interesting to see the direction that Rishi Sunak is forced to take because while it's easy for him to sort of go down his whole new deal at the moment which is already doesn't at all fit with the circumstance of Roosevelt's new deal for numerous reasons which lots of commentators have gone into but how long can Rishi Sunak's own brand of I, I guess one nation conservatism Kind
0: of. I I would say as well, um, just, this is a regular thing I'm just going to point out in future episodes as well. I despise the phrase One Nation Conservative because every Tory leader has described themselves as One Nation Conservative since John Major. Mm. It's become such a meaningless phrase. It's like me saying soft left. No one's got an idea what the hell that means because (laughs) it's up for interpretation. We'll go from Connor's snap judgment to Rob's. What do you think? I,
3: I am not a big, big stats person in regards to like budgets and stuff. I, I, I do switch off a bit when the budgets come on and I wait for people like Connor to explain to me. It was presented quite well. The branding, I think, was phenomenal. The um, If you looked at what Labour put out, that very long, wordy tweet, Compared to the concise messaging uh, of Rishi Sunak, in which he essentially created a brand for himself. You know, he had his signature on it, had a, lots of photos of him smiling and everything on it. He went out and with into restaurants and started serving food without a mask, which caused some controversy. But even so, he's he's been seen out and about. He's creating a brand for himself. I think the, the budget has for the Conservatives been a success. That isn't a commentary on whether or not it will be helpful. I think from a political standpoint, purely for a political standpoint, because I am not gifted enough with. The Economics to, to tell you how this will impact our economy, but I, I do think that politically this budget has been a great success for the Conservatives and in particular Rishi Sunak. I would disagree somewhat with Connor in saying that he doesn't know how long Rishi Sunak can last. I think Rishi Sunak is probably the safest member of that cabinet at the moment, including Boris Johnson. He I, is. I wouldn't disagree with
1: that. It's just is, the long, long term. Well, I think I think even then <laughs> he, he is well, phenomenally.
2: Well, if Rishi Sunak is telling everyone to eat out to help out, then who am mm. I? The way? <laughs> and I know a lot of places, especially the two pubs back home, that don't open on Mondays or Tuesdays. They'll only open a bank holiday Monday, for example. So that's like, it's really difficult in those scenarios. It would work if you're a big corporation that works seven days a week. I get that. but There are a lot of places, a lot of restaurants that don't actually open on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays because or they'll open for Wednesday lunch like that so I don't know it's a it's a confusing one for me last month we were fighting to feed kids at school now we're giving out free food in restaurants it's a really complicated way of understanding what the priorities really are and I for one don't think I'd be able to afford going out anyway even with the discounts.
0: Just to go back to Rob's point, because obviously Rob's focus was more on a political triumph for the Conservatives with their poll bounce. I wanted to take a slight objection to that because of the fact that there has been a colossal backlash from not only this budget, but from a lot of the lockdown announcements uh, coming from the self-employed, who typically tend to be the people the Conservatives uh, describe themselves as the political champions of, the uh, entrepreneurs. I- I've recently started watching BBC Breakfast on the morning after a long time of not doing that and every morning they have had someone on who owns their own company coming on and just raging against like how they've been left out in the cold by these deals. Do you think this has got like a long-term consequence with the relationship between the Conservative Party and the self-employed or small businesses who this budget realistically does not do a whole lot for? I I think
3: uh, one of the most consistent failures across the lockdown as you pointed out has been the relationship between the government and the self-employed. It's a very complex relationship as is and it's certainly been made even more difficult by the lockdown. I think long-term relations between them will definitely be strained and a lot of self-employed people will be more willing to shop around with who they vote for. Do I think it is categorically the end of Tory supremacy amongst this particular voting group? No I do not. I think I think the Tories will uh, still be able to bring bring them back into the fold quite sort of easily the reason I say politically successful is as as you pointed out is, is they have gone up in the polls since but only that is that I've not really seen anyone have a backlash against Rishi Sunak's budget yet granted a lot of people I know are not politically interested or aware but they've kept up to date with everything obviously with the lockdown going on they've kept up to date with everything and on the whole they're quite excited by this budget they've obviously focused heavily on the 50% off but you know it's stuff like that which they were the headline policies, they've made the headlines, they've got people excited,
2: it's done its job I would contest that and say that if we can afford to reduce the cost of people's dining out which in my opinion isn't really that essential but we're telling nurses and hospital staff that they can't park for free more like the pro, the, the cost of that scheme is being paid from the wage packets of nurses who pay for parking and pay for these schemes themselves so it's not that the money comes from nowhere it's being taken from other people so the middle class or the higher um, working class that can go out and afford to go out to bars and restaurants have those policies but the ones who are really truly suffering at the very 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 bottom are not going to benefit from this scheme they might not even have a garden they might live in a cramped flat they can barely afford to pay the bills with their universal credit like how are they meant to benefit from this i just think it's a complete failure and really shows the lack of understanding of where money should be spent it shouldn't be spent giving some family like money off their restaurant bill it should be given to the family that can barely afford to eat and use as a food bank
0: Michael Gove is currently contesting that, no, they're not going to make face masks mandatory, but I just wanted to get a very quick verdict from everyone. Would you feel safe if you went inside a shop and nobody was wearing a face mask?
2: Yeah, i feel safe.
0: The the, the
3: case in Huddersfield is that very few people are wearing masks, and I feel perfectly safe out about.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd feel safe, but, I, but I'd also just instinctively prefer to li- to sort of exist in an environment where everyone was wearing a mask because I think psychologically there's the sort of thing where you go well of course mathematically speaking the odds of me in particular getting infected is very low but in reality of course everyone thinks that that if if we didn't operate that way generally things would be better I've not been out rarely at all which has contributed to the fact that I've not been out wearing a mask because I've just not been out if I was going out I would generally feel more comfortable but I wouldn't be like, eh, no, please, please wear mask. oh god, what's happening?
0: I, I love your defence okay. of, um, don't listen to me though I'm a shut-in, it's fine.
1: Oh yes, I- I'm not an authority on this, you know, ask people that like, go outside.
0: I-, I would say as somebody who's gone back to work recently and working inside uh, the city centre of Leeds, I actually do think that we should make the face mask mandatory because people are coming inside the shop I work in which there are train carriages which have got more floor space than mine, on them it's mandatory to wear face masks because you're in an enclosed space. In uh, the shop I work in yesterday. I counted. Three people followed the one race system and about 10% of everyone who came in wore a face mask. Um, I was wearing one myself. I, I just was quite conscious to the fact if only one in 10 people are following it, it dramatically increases the risk, however low, of potentially someone in there getting it and then spreading it to somebody who's vulnerable. You've
3: got a slight problem in the obviously not being mandatory a lot of people aren't It's used to go finding masks i think the bigger issue is actually getting them i i, I know of exactly one place that sells them that is aldi apparently oh, that is apparently okay. i've never seen one and uh buying them offline pretty pretty pricey so oh, availability
2: like you can oh. make one like, it's, you can be a jack of all trades and, you know, it's face covering, not just masks. Yeah. i old told now. I'm not
3: cutting up my socks. <laughs> the only
2: um, benefit, really, of wearing a mask is, so say, so that you don't spread it to other people. Mm. Um, so I think it's about, like, personal hygiene as well. And I think, like, shops like you're talking about, George, my brother also works in a shop and they got something like 2,000 litres of hand sanitizer for the staff only. But he was like, you know what, screw that, I'm going to make the customers use hand sanitizer as well because it's I think it's about unions getting together and telling workforces you need to implement these guidelines and if you feel as though customers should be wearing a mask because it's too confined, and yeah, you should go talk to your company about that. I
0: think it's time that we move on to everyone's favourite section, the USA, mask slips as masks go on. The title of course referring to the fact that Donald Trump, after um, weeks of umming and ahhing over wearing a face mask, has actually got one with a nice little presidential seal on the side of it. First of all, uh, America is by far becoming the worst affected country on Earth for yeah. coronavirus. Do you think like there's any realistic chance that this virus is going to fe- patter out, or do you think it's going to continue to increment in America?
1: I mean, you can see the pattern at the moment that it is intensely political. Which obviously a lot of mm. people have been remarking on this that it's ridiculous that pandemic is political, but in America everything is political. If you look at the infection rate in democratic versus republican states for example in Republican states, they just continue, they're continuing to increase. Where in Texas on Saturday, ten thousand new cases were recorded. Whereas in Democratic states, it is largely beginning to flatten out now, which is obviously difficult because America's a federal system, so they need a lot of help and action from the federal government to assist them. But generally, the Republican Party does not support taking action to limit the effects of the virus. In those states that the Republican Party controls, it, there is no sign of it getting better it's getting worse because obviously as more people get infected the, the more vectors there are for infection it just keeps increasing 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 whereas in democratic states where the democrats do support taking action to deal with the pandemic generally the new cases are flattening out immensely and it sort of sounds comical to a lot of us because obviously in britain generally most of us or well, certainly all of us on this podcast are, are vaguely of the left and In American politics, we would all be of the left. The idea of the ruling party going, eh, we'd quite like to not take action on the most important issue of the day is mind-boggling, and yet it's it's a thing that's happening. And in America, it just continues to get worse, and while there are still uninfected people that make up the vast majority of the population, it can only get worse, and it will only get worse, unless there is a massive change of heart in the Republican Party, which... As of yet, it does not seem to be taking place.
2: The USA have 3.3 3 million cases, roughly. 3,300,000. The total coronavirus cases is around 12.8 million. And total deaths all worldwide, 568,000. The USA itself uh, has 137,414 deaths. So let's say that's roughly about a fifth of the world's deaths. Is that also tied into healthcare systems and access to healthcare and how that plays into it? I think it is very politicized because healthcare is a political issue in America mm. because people can't afford it. But say, for example, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro? How do you say his name in Brazil? I think it is Bolsonaro.
1: Yeah, I think it's Bolsonaro. He
2: just rejected that it was even a big problem, like from the start.
1: It it just occurs to me that that means that over 1% of people in America have coronavirus.
2: The total cases yeah, 3 million and active cases are 1.7 million.
1: Well, the the problem is
3: for America is uh, the the sort of end of George's original question was, is this going to filter out? And the answer is no. Mm. It isn't just going to filter out. You've got to get involved with stuff like this. Every country that has flattened earth has locked down. They've done it very strongly. In America, it seems to just be this ludicrous system where they keep on going and pretending that the disease isn't there. We've seen throughout history when diseases hit, if you don't control them, if you don't try to control them, they can have enormous, enormous side effects to your society. It's, 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 bog- it's mind-boggling that they're not dealing with this Severely.
1: Yeah, it should be remembered, of course, that in America, a lot of Americans, if they get coronavirus, it is just, they have to go, I might die, but I, c- but I can't afford to get healthcare, which is obviously the way that healthcare used, the way that healthcare debate used to operate was it was a matter of choice, because why would you want to be subjected to a government healthcare plan? Whereas now, it, increasingly, more and more people are, are being faced with the reality that, that has already been affecting millions of Americans throughout... Throughout their history, of no, you need you need a system in place because otherwise your choices are bankruptcy or death, which mm. are two horrific things. It's a failure. <laughs> that's that's failure. what it is.
3: It's a failure of of a, of a modern country, the so-called bastion the of, of, of democracy. World. That's it. Yeah. The leader of the free world. I, and they, I they they can't afford to to give their own citizens healthcare if they you know they're saying everyone's individual rights are so important, but apparently not their rights to be able to access healthcare and not die it it Mm. seems absolutely insane to me that at this point that the, the it's become political that you have you are more likely to die as a republican than as a democrat and i, I can't believe that the leader of the, you know the leader of the free world in, in that country they simply
0: don't care enough to give them the healthcare or they don't care that these people
3: don't have enough money to afford
0: the healthcare and just to bring this back to politics a bit i, I think it really says something that trump has spent god knows how long trying to ridicule biden as this you know senile old man he has got no clue what doing when actually after months of being really ambiguous over the face masks Trump has finally done what Biden's been doing for months by actually wearing one which really goes to show how desperate he is because I looked on 35 degrees and the latest opinion polls as of the 7th of July when they were last conducted gave an average of a 10 point lead to Biden on 52% compared to Trump's 42.
1: It should be said that that Biden's lead is not just impressive, sort of in a context compared to Hillary Clinton. It's impressive just in general as an American political lead. You know, it's not unheard of. People have had 10 point leads sort of pre convention before, but it's, it's the margin of victory for Trump is increasingly slipping away. And it's, it, it, it is slightly heartwarming to go, oh, look, America is looking to move away from Trump. But on the other hand, let's go, oh, yes, America is doing this while also going through. One of the worst periods of domestic tumult since the end of the Vietnam War.
2: I think that Trump is going to win the next election. Like, not because I like him, obviously. It's just you know, I I generally think there is enough enough white nationalist far right Americans for that to happen. From the Trump rallies, which and obviously weren't very well attended, but like the ones that are, the mask wearing ones, if, that, if you've seen those, mm. people saying we we want haircuts and stuff. There's enough of that conspiracy floating around that coronavirus is a jumped up thing made like they call it the chinese virus and stuff to have these racial connotations there's enough of that in america to for what for Trump to capitalise on. And I genuinely do think he'll use that emotion, stir up that divide once again during the presidential bid. Now,
0: Bell, I would actually two weeks ago have completely agreed with your hand on heart. However, a new political colossus has entered the arena through the form of Kanye West's presidential bid, who is standing okay. on the platform of being anti vaxxer, anti abortion, running on what is quite a right wing platform, which in my opinion might actually hurt Trump
1: quite a lot. Because- I
2: so surprised that happened. because I'm not oh, sure he's I, I, a serious
0: I, candidate.
1: He, he can't even be on the ballot in all 50 states.
0: He's not,
2: but How this is-, it? is what? <laughs> Where did the, this come from?
0: This this is my theory. Ke- Kanye West has used his uh, apparent friendship with Donald Trump in order to basically promote, like, a lot of education for poorer black communities, which is kind of dull up behind the scenes. My thinking is that he's gone on this insane platform to hurt Trump. Uh, why now she's going to vote for a black man? Nah. No.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. I also firmly don't believe Kanye is is a serious candidate at all. I think it's publicity. If Kanye West stands for this full election and and we get to polling day and Kanye West polls decently, and by decently I mean gets anything over 100,000 votes, I will be amazed. And I I also, I, I, I think Trump has been... In trouble for for longer we've had the george floyd riots and everything that's gone on i think turnout amongst african americans is going to be
1: exceptionally high it should also be noted that biden is polling it, 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 among old white men and other white demographics hideously better than hillary clinton did and is polling substantially better than trump is you know sort of in the demographics that trump needs to win you know sort of african-american hispanic communities, basically all Trump can try and do is lower turnout. They're going to vote for Democrats, whatever happens. But amongst white men, Biden's winning them now. Even Biden's electoral mathematics are incredibly solid, and you, you would need Trump, in order to win them back. Trump would need to run a different campaign to the one he's winning at the moment. You know, mm. in 1992, when George Bush managed to overcome a 10-point lead from the Democratic candidate, so in 1988, when he overcame a lead from the Democratic candidate Michael Dukakis, he did it because he managed to run a moderate, centrist campaign that skewered the Democrats by marginalising the hard right of the Republican Party and presenting himself as the honest, neoliberal Reaganite who could unite the country, which obviously sounds pretty ridiculous but America is America. Trump 2016, Trump actually ran a more moderate campaign than we might remember. You know, he was not opposed to government intervention in infrastructure and healthcare. He Mm. was polled by a lot of Americans. They felt that he was more moderate than Hillary, which is the exact opposite of what was both the truth and what people say they felt, but all of the data suggests that Trump was viewed as the more moderate figure. If you look at all the way he's campaigning now, the tactics he's taking office, he is not running a campaign to bring over the centre, he's running a campaign to sort of boost his base. but here's the point that Trump needs to massively change his electoral strategy, because he's not fighting against Hillary Clinton anymore, he's fighting against somebody who, you know, objectively, I'm sure we'd all say that Biden is a bit of a disappointing figure, but nonetheless, is an incredibly popular figure for good or for ill, among huge swathes of the American electorate, cutting across all corners of society that Democrats need to get behind them in order to win. If Trump can win, which he still can, it's not impossible. The campaign cannot be what the campaign currently is, but we felt this in 2016. But enough of the variables are different that it's not even the same scenario. And it's also worth remembering that Trump's victory in 2016 came by a hair. You need to move 40,000 votes in order to beat Trump. And I think the idea that Biden doesn't move 40,000 votes doesn't hold up to scrutiny. That—that was a very long rant.
0: Well, uh, coming to the end of that rant now, just as I'm, where we are pushed for time, I just want to quickly ask Rob Clark. Um, mm. You've just declared that if Kanye West gets 100,000 votes, you'll be very amazed. Is this your Paddy Ashtar moment from the 2015 election where he declared that if the exit poll was right, oh, I... he'd eat his hat?
3: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'm going to look an absolute idiot so, and, and Kanye West will, will be like third place or, or something tough like that. You know, yeah. take over the Libertarians and, and the Green Party and whatnot. I, I don't see it happening. I'm quite confident in saying that. I, I don't actually think
0: he's so... going to be a candidate. So you'd be happy if on this podcast, just to cap off the first actual episode ever, that if in November we come back to this and he's got, say, 120,000 votes, you would merrily go out and buy Kanye West album. As no, as I'm not as buying as any as of any his
1: music. will put I will put a, t- a t- on mine you take the offer.
0: Oh, God, no, I'm so poor. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to fucking fine. So, I fear we are running out of time unless there's anything anyone else wants to quickly I'm bring up.
2: Whales
0: and cheese. Oh, whales yeah. and <laughs>
3: cheese. cheese
0: we'll round off on a nice positive note about wholesome
3: sure. Mark Drakeford and his cheese. Good boy.
2: What is your favourite cheese? Ooh, now is that is actually? a question. Now that
0: is a very good question. Just, I feel like we should just probably add a little bit of context for people who don't live on um, politics 24-7. Mark Drakeford was um, in the week videoed talking about Welsh cheese, and he looked the happiest I think anyone has ever recorded him looking, which is why we're doing a bit of cheese discourse.
2: How it happened was there was a live Q&A, and he looked to the monitor, he says oh what's your favorite cheese and he went into a big big sort of emotional rant about well not rant a discussion about well i do like this and you know it was amazing
0: (laughs) so let's i'm gonna i'm gonna go around to each person what's your favorite cheese let's start with bell holland
2: oh oh it's gotta be it's gotta be a bit of halloumi because it's just a bit odd isn't it
0: a very good um Reasoning, I like that, I that. Uh, Connor,
1: cheese. Well, I'm I'm a repressed white Englishman, so obviously it's cheddar. You
3: know? Oh damn you! I I'm also <laughs> cheddar. <laughs> I've never been so offended by something I agree with.
0: <laughs> uh, Rob, is there a second favourite cheese? Um, maybe a bit of red Leicester. Oh, did I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of red Leicester.
3: Not I'm a fan of red Leicester. I, I do like a bit of Wednesday.
0: Day. <laughs> Uh, very oh, no. oh god i feel like as well i may as well just hold my hand up and say i'm very much the champagne socialist because my favorite cheese in the world is brie oh,
2: not even camembert oh.
0: no i i think they're in level pegging uh but i think brie just nips it by a little bit
2: i really want to go buy a camembert right now and some bread <laughs> I shouldn't have done this to myself <laughs> no
0: <laughs> and uh i feel like just to quickly extend the cheese talk a little bit further just because i feel like this has potential to be good podcasting. What sort of cheese do you reckon is the favourites of Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer? Oh, right.
2: Um, Better because uh, Boris Johnson's sully as fuck, so... Ooh. Ooh.
3: Ouch. That's that's getting cut. Yeah, it's so <laughs> getting cut. <We're> trying...
1: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> a long bleep. You know... Keir, Keir Starmer,
3: is there, is there a, a flavour of cheese that is just completely it's just hard milk? <laughs>
0: It doesn't up. have any flavour. It's. Just, I feel. What? I think that Keir Starmer is a dairily slice. I think he's relatively inoffensive, and a lot of people. Oh, say he's not it. that
3: adventurous, George. So we got. No, I, I tell you what, he's a dairily dunker man, but he he doesn't have dairily dunker with with the chive uh, the chive sticks. Oh, that's I think good
2: Boris Johnson is just like a bit of Stilton. No one. I knows can see he him he's
0: God, I really like Stilton now. God,
2: you... Why have we done this to
1: ourselves? <laughs> oh, I, I, don't, I don't like cheese, so I'm just saying. Oh, my
0: God. Uh, C- uh, Connor, um, just on this cheese talk, obviously your party at the minute is undergoing a leadership campaign. What cheese do you reckon Ed Davey and Leila Moran are? Davey's definitely cheddar.
1: Oh, Ed What's Davey with... must be cheddar. I would, I would put another £10 bet on with Rob that Ed Davey's cheddar. But
0: I'd also agree.
1: It may be the most exciting thing. <laughs> no <laughs> one would <It's> win. Like, <laughs> we half, we half, both win. Half, who, who, who gets the money if we're both we, wrong? That, so Rob, is how just, inflation works. Does Ed get the money? <laughs> <laughs>
2: the <middle laughs> extra- like what level of maturity are we on the scale? Ed
3: Davey to prove that he is the political man for the time goes for like vintage, like stored in the caves of Somerset cheese. You know that really. Yeah, like
1: jo Swinson uh, said that she smoked one in in Evansville, I believe. Ed Davey's could be. Oh yes, I I I really love. Good of I hate
0: <laughs> Sutton <stopped> an University, <laughs> and no one will believe
3: it. Ed <laughs> <laughs> Davey loses his seat based on. False stilton promises.
0: <laughs> Layla Moran. Oh
3: Layla Layla, Moran. I bet
2: Layla What's Moran regretful is cheese fruity.
0: Gorgonzola.
2: Regretful conversations. You no, know I think Ed <laughs> Davy
1: would love I think Ed Davy would love to crack his it. baby bell.
3: It's like you know like you know, the pre-fudge of like debate. And everyone's there uh, reading their notes and Ed Davies just there peeling baby bells. You can see That, that that's <laughs> possible.
0: That is quite possible. Actually. Layla Moran, though, I
3: think would go halloumi sticks. I think, I think. She, I see that. I see that. She's like there munching on some
0: halloumi. She goes with spin. She gets halloumi. She goes anywhere. She gets halloumi. And just to add one definite final thought, I think that Theresa May would have been a cheese string person. Why does that yeah. make sense?
2: <laughs> it shouldn't think, make sense, but it well, David Cameron,
1: David is definitely <laughs> brie. I love the idea of all of us sitting here going, Can you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And there's someone <laughs> just saying, what? Are they t- how does this make sense? What
2: I <laughs> <laughs> what I what I mean? What about Gordon Brown? I'd say Nick Clegg would be put. <gasps> <polished>. Yes. <laughs> no,
3: it shouldn't make sense, but it does. But it
2: does. Well, <laughs> if
0: if you think that our opinions make sense or don't, let us know in the comments as we bring this episode to a definite end. As we, move. Well, we should ask
3: a question of the people, all three of them who will listen, and they now have to tell us what is John Major's favourite kind of cheese.
0: No, Rob, that is a ridiculous question. We simply have to ask the question of what is Trump's favourite cheese? Trump doesn't know what cheese is. American. American. Oh, American. Cheese. American cheese. John Major's cheese, that's
3: the question. Oh, God, that's
1: cut that out. That, that's, that's, my, that's, <laughs> my, that's my spec script, Rob.
0: Every, every time you ask something to be cut out, it's going to be left in, just so you know. No!
1: It has to be left in if you say cut that out. <laughs>
0: yes because the the potential is just great so i must say thank you for listening to these ramblings this is hopefully the first in what will be a fortnightly to weekly program in the meantime do give us a follow on the platform that this is published on which listening to so it could be soundcloud spotify do follow us on twitter uh the links will be posted in the descriptions and thank you for listening goodbye guys